Hi, everyone. This is Sophia Kiani back with the New Climate Podcast. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Kerry Kuzinski. He is a lecturer on sustainable finance at Yale and Brown. Thank you so much for making the time. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. Um, and so just to start right off the bat, I would love to know what got you interested in the field of sustainability, specifically sustainable finance, and why did you decide to pursue a career in it? It's a really interesting question. Thanks, Sophia. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I don't have an easy answer to that one, actually. Uh, my career has been evolving for over 30 years. I started as a computer programmer, uh, moved into managing data, business information specifically, who owns companies. And I always wanted to make a difference. I always wanted, always cared about environmental issues. And uh, so for me, it was more of a slow evolution uh, where by about 20 years ago, I uh, started looking at funds that were trying to solve environmental challenges and was intrigued by that. <clears throat> then by the mid 2000s, uh, I started to try to put all of my experiences together uh, measuring companies' carbon footprints with what investors were doing and eventually realized that that was the space for me. Uh, so it was a kind of a, a slow evolution into the things I always cared about. That definitely makes sense. That's really cool. And so what specifically about that made you... Yeah, another interesting question. Actually, I never thought I'd be a teacher. When I went to college, uh, <clears throat> I was a major in computer science originally and got turned off by that in the late 70s, thinking everyone's going to lose their job through automation. Of course, that didn't happen then, but it's starting to happen finally. Uh, so I pursued philosophy and didn't think I wanted to be a teacher. So I went back to computer science to get my career started. Uh, it wasn't until 2009 that I was uh, working for a company called TrueCost and was engaging with universities around the idea of environmental impact data. And I met someone at Columbia who said to me during our meeting, hey, you know, why don't you try teaching a class? This, this is all pretty interesting stuff, and there aren't enough courses on sustainable investing. And I went on to teach in 2009 one of the first classes on the subject, and it's just been evolving. That's awesome. And I'm sure your students really appreciate it since you are working at it like a really unique sector. And so with that, like, how do you think that education has or will play a role in furthering sustainability initiatives? Yeah, thanks for that. I actually think, uh, and I'm not the only one who thinks this, that education arguably uh, is the most important dimension of uh, achieving the sort of sustainability and impact outcomes that we all seek. If you poll people in Asia, Africa, uh, many parts of the world, uh, they often, you know, regardless of sustainability and climate change, they often cite education as the number one thing that they want better access to. So in general, I think education, awareness raising, super important for getting a consensus behind climate action, uh, behind environmental and social changes that we seek. Uh, if we can get global consensus or even regional consensus, we can make meaningful progress. Without a majority behind these issues, it's much harder to make progress. So I really do think education is arguably the most important dimension. 
I totally agree. And I mean, that's the work I've been doing as well with my nonprofit, Climate Cardinals. We've really been making sure that everyone everywhere can access climate information, even if it's not in English. So I think that's awesome. And I would love to also hear more about, can you tell us about your role at Yale and at Brown? What do you teach? What what classes would you like to tell us sure, about? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so I started teaching at Yale uh, in the fall of 2014. Uh, and it was part of this evolution that my career has been through. Uh, Yale has something called college seminars. And uh, I got to know students. I'm an advisor at Dwight Hall. It's a wonderful community-oriented uh, component of Yale. And they encouraged me to apply. Anyone could apply. You could apply, actually, to teach a class at Yale uh, through their college seminar uh, system. There are 14 residential colleges. They each choose one class a semester. So you have 28 new classes a year selected by Yale students that go through a process and they try to add to the existing curriculum. And there's often some really interesting uh, new classes. At this point, I now teach at Yale in three areas. Uh, uh, for the seventh year, we're going to do an energy studies class, uh, which has, has had speakers like uh, Secretary John Kerry, uh, Nobel Prize winner Bill Nordhaus and others. Uh, really diving into the complexities of the energy transition and how challenging it will be in countries like Indonesia, where coal remains cheapest and so on, what, <clears throat> what innovations are occurring. I also teach at the School of Management and the MBA programs, sustainable finance, and I do still do college seminars at Yale. Uh, most recently, uh, the, the course was uh, How Can I Have the Most Impact? Helping Students Explore uh, solutions to unsolved challenges that they could work on themselves. Uh, given that I was teaching at Yale, I was introduced to uh, someone at Brown, uh, at the time a student, Sophie Purdom, who graduated in 2016. She rose up as a leader uh, in her day, uh, helping uh, champion sustainable investing uh, within the endowment and on campus, and was looking to establish a class. And so she brought me in spring 2016 to teach a class with her, uh, the theory and practice of sustainable investing, which continues to this day. That's super interesting. And so could you tell our listeners, what is the biggest lesson or idea that you want students to take away from your class? Yeah, I really think the most, the, the common denominator there would be, of course, students have different areas of interest. They're from different parts of the world. So I really want everyone to get a holistic sense of all of the many dimensions that are playing out in the climate landscape. Uh, you know, regionally, this will mean something different in China, say, versus Europe versus here. Uh, it'll mean something different if you're someone who cares about social issues on the ground, helping those less well off. Uh, so I, I try in my classes to bring students through all of the different dimensions and then help them find the area that they want to focus on and see if maybe they even want to make a career out of how they can have the most impact. And through your experiences as an educator, do you think there are any like best practices you would say that work? Like how do we effectively teach people about subjects like climate change and sustainability? Yeah, uh, there, for, for me, it's, it's bringing, uh, the, <clears throat> there are different ways of doing this, but I personally think ESG, that acronym, you know, environment, social governance, it's pretty dry to just kind of rattle off a list of all of the issues. So <clears throat> for me, the important dimensions are understanding systems thinking and getting many, more and more people to understand 
the holistic nature of the challenges we face. Supply chains are very important. Uh, if you just think about, you know, how did that garment get made? Where was it made? Who were the people involved? <clears throat> that that dinner I had last night of shrimp, like where did that shrimp come from? And, you know, is there indentured slavery in that supply chain? Uh, how do we actually move the needle on climate change? What, what, what are the changes that will be necessary? And it's extremely multidimensional. So uh, I really try to expose students to all of the solutions that are being tried, uh, issues like biodiversity we're working on right now, uh, climate change, the social dimension, how can you measure impact? We try to walk students through uh, a series of all of these perspectives, and then students might come from Cambodia, where a lot of this is about economic development, <clears throat> or they might come from India, where there's a big impact investment movement emerging, or China, which is radically transforming, or here, where now we have a new administration that's that's starting to act. And uh, so it, it, it really isn't one answer to those things. I, I try to create an environment where different students from different demographics can uh, think about all of the different trends and tools and work that's happening and, and get a sense for where they want to fit. Uh, some students might want to work for a company and help that company do better. Some students might want to be investors. Some students might want to start up a new company. Yeah, definitely. Looking at everything through an intersectional lens, I, I think is very helpful. And so how do you think that young people like me, I'm just a freshman in university right now, how can we effectively educate others about sustainability and climate change? How can we make a change? Yeah, I mean, your work's fantastic, first of all. So, uh, you know, for you to rise up at your, at, at your university and for other students to rise up at your universities and Try to make a difference yourselves, encourage your fellow students to do the same, create environments where that's possible. Uh, personally, I, I focus on positive uh, strategies as much as anything. So how do we actually fix problems and make those beneficial to as many people as possible? Uh, I, f I find that university administrations are very receptive when you're helping them fix a problem they have, as opposed to having you know, finger pointing occur at them for not doing something. So, uh, you know, I definitely encourage positive approaches, creating a class yourself, teaching it, uh, teaching, you know, students love to hear from fellow students uh, who are working in the field uh, or are trying to make a difference themselves. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, continue to rise up as you have been, uh, make friends with the administration, connect in, uh, and try to help the institutions do better because ultimately it's competitive, right? The the smartest, best students will want to go to the universities that are doing the best work on the subject. Well, thank you for your kind words, first of all. And I definitely agree. I think that there really is so much value in having students talk to one another and help educate each other. And so what resources do you recommend for people who are interested in learning more about climate change? Like, are there any books or web pages that I should be recommending to my friends? Sure. Uh, it really depends on the area, but uh, you know, we've done seven books. Our most recent book was on China, where uh, we helped create something called the U.S.-China Better Relations Coalition last year, which spun off an academic journal. Uh, we feel that Asia is going to be half the world's economy, so... We need to work together on these things uh, and, and build better relationships globally uh, across cultures. Uh, 
you know, our most recent book on sustainable uh, finance was Sustainable Investing, Revolutions in Theory and Practice. It's one of the more contemporary books on the subject. Uh, actually did that with Sophie Purdom, who brought me into Brown. Two of us edited that book. Uh, we uh, actually uh, helped start a newsletter uh, last year that she's co-running called Climate Tech BC. That's a very exciting new space with $14 billion having been invested in all sorts of new technologies. It's free. Just, just Google Climate Tech VC and subscribe. It's become the go-to for that uh, new industry of uh, funds that are trying to do things like create cellular meat by scraping cells off a cow and growing meat in the laboratory or turning plants into plastic or creating new ways to, to uh, produce fertilizer and so on. There's a, a tremendous amount of opportunities. Uh, visit Katie Cross at Duke. Uh, her Twitter feed is a constant stream of jobs in the industry, which is absolutely booming. More generally, there are an enormous number of jobs in the sustainability uh, landscape. Uh, her, her Twitter feed is one example of that. Uh, at a time when COVID's decimated uh, us all, uh, and many people don't know what to do about employment, there, there is a, a literally, as we speak, a boom in employment in sustainability. So uh, I would definitely uh, encourage you know reading up and staying staying up to date on what's happening uh, through a number of channels. But most of all, be interested and 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 think about how you can. That's definitely really encouraging for me and other students who are working in the sector of sustainability, knowing that even with the pandemic really <laughs> crippling our economy, there still are job prospects. And I'd also love to know, is there anything in particular that you'd like people to know about your work and the research being done in your field that you feel like isn't accurately conveyed or isn't often conveyed to the public? Yeah, absolutely. Uh uh, we're intending to have a big uh, percentage of our time, not only continuing to teach, I taught 11 classes last year, uh, but also to bring this thinking in, in particular to China and Asia more generally. Uh, a Malaysian pension fund just announced all of their investments are going to look at ESG by 2030. Uh, you know, This is part of why there's a boom going on in sustainability. Investors are taking this on. Governments are taking this on, creating carbon neutrality commitments, net zero commitments, and that means every company needs to respond. Uh, and so, you know, our, think, our thinking, and that's this is the core of the China book we did uh, that was excerpted in the Stanford Social Innovation Review, uh, that uh, if we uh, help move the needle in Asia, if we help Asia with its challenging transition, uh, we'll, we'll make meaningful progress on climate change. If we don't do that, if we continue to isolate and finger point, it'll be harder to make progress. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing China moving towards requiring its companies to report on ESG. Uh, every ministry right now is producing a plan uh, that the government has requested that will become part of the 14th five-year plan to help China meet its carbon neutrality goals and its peaking of carbon emissions. And so, you know, meaningful progress will happen when we actually make change. And so, you know, we're, we're encouraging that. We've launched a certification program designed to bring sustainable finance thinking to Asia called CSFA. We just finished our first cohort with students from China, Singapore, India, and beyond. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, make a difference where, where it matters most is what I would. Uh, well, you're 
clearly doing incredible work and I'm sure teaching 11 classes is no easy feat. And so do you have any other new exciting plans or research developments coming up that you would like to share? Uh, yeah, there's a lot happening. Uh, you know, there's this, this idea of using satellites and transparency, spatial finance. That was a report that came out of Oxford last year. You know, we're going to be in an increasingly transparent world and a world that encourages, you know, good jobs from, from new forms of infrastructure and other ways of doing business. And, uh, so, uh, there's a lot happening and I'm, you know, I, I try to stay involved in a number of, of these perspectives and I'm sure there's plenty of room for students to do great work. And I'm always happy to be in, be in touch. Feel free to, to send me an invite at LinkedIn. Anyone listening, I'm more than happy to. Yeah, guys, you heard him and <laughs> definitely keep up with the work that he's doing. And so for our final question, I'd love to know your, more about your perspective, if any, on the fashion industry, because COVID-19 has really exacerbated many existing problems in the fashion industry, providing evidence that, you know, the status quo isn't ethical or sustainable. And so I'd love to know, in your opinion, what do you think are realistic steps that brands can take to help build a post-COVID industry that's self, uh, more circular, just, and sustainable? Yeah, that could be an entire podcast on its own. I'm sure you'd agree. Uh, we're actually working with the World Bank on ideating something that would be called a nature 100. Uh, there's something called climate action 100 plus that's uh, over 50 trillion of investors engaging with oil and gas companies, trying to get them to set net zero targets and similar. Uh, BP just laid off most of their exploration team in response. Uh, Repsol is working on plans. <clears throat> and so that's helpful. We're, we're looking at uh, what would a nature 100 look like? And so, you know, if I'm a company, if I'm in the fashion industry, I'm looking at how are my materials sourced? Are there ethical standards being applied? Do I understand the working conditions of those on the ground? I think there's an opportunity to create minimum standards for the fashion industry that investors could get around, that uh, consumers could champion. Uh, and that would be a way forward, you know, because, again, I, I'm a big fan of turning uh, what might be seen as ne something negative into an opportunity. So, you know, Caring has been doing interesting work over time. Uh, the luxury goods uh, company that owns Gucci, Yves Saint Laurent, Stella McCartney and others. So I think there's a great opportunity for the fashion industry to you know, continue down the path of uh, educating its consumers and giving those consumers uh, a real sense that they're buying something that's good for society. And I, I think that those opportunities will only accelerate. I definitely agree. And I think the work that the UN has been doing with our fashion charter and the UNFCCC really shows that brands are committed to building back more sustainably. And so I think it's great that we're really ending on a note of optimism and realizing that we can do better and expect better. Uh, and so with that, I'd really love to thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm sure our listeners learned so much from today's episode. Thanks again for having me. Of course. Thank you.